I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. As I say that, would you repeat after me in saying that with me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I hope we realize the enormity and the weight of what we just confessed, the opening sentence of the Apostles' Creed, that has been repeated by churches for the last 2,000 years. In other words, what we just have said is the opening sentence of that creed that churches have been repeating Sunday after Sunday reciting it in unison with one another every Sunday for 2,000 years. And we join those voices. And I want you to notice the impact of what this states. There's many theological statements stated in there. First, that God is our Father, that He is Almighty. But there is something else so important that is included in there, is that He is the Maker of heaven and earth. An essential foundational doctrine of the Christian is that God is creator. And this morning, we deal with the doctrine of creation. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11, if you would turn there. After we have looked at the definition of what faith is, how faith applies and, and works itself out in the Christian life, the first example of faith for a Christian is what we just all confess together and what the church has been confessing since its existence, and that is that God is creator. He is maker of heaven and earth. And this morning, as we look at the text, it's going to answer a few questions for us. First, how was the universe created? Second, what, what means did God use in creation? And then the third is this, is how do we understand this or how do we believe this? So let us hear the word of God in Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is the very clear, without any ambiguity, word of God on the doctrine of creation. And it's an example of, of the first thing that we believe. Now, how was the universe created? Very simply, the answer is this. The universe was created by God's word. And this word created here you notice in the text it says created, and then it says made. Those are two different words. This first word created is actually the word for prepare or complete. This is in contrast to that word made that we also see in the verse, which means bring into existence. So the first word, which is in your ESV, if you have an ESV Bible, it's created. And the second word is made. Now, the King James Version translates that word for created as framed, or the NIV does it as formed, which actually captures the meaning a little bit better than the ESV does. 
Because it's not talking about a, a creation and bringing something into existence. It's talking about the forming of something that's already there. And really what this is referring to is to provide what is, what is suitable and fitting and, and have a purpose for that which is created. It's the idea of arranging or bringing things into an orderly fashion. John Owen d uh, defines it this way. It's the disposal of all created things into that beautiful order which we beheld. Or we behold. So what was specifically framed well, it tells us here the universe, which is the, the Greek word ion or aeon, because you use that, the, the aeons is speaking of time, so it's literally the ages. But what's being referred to is that which was formed and put into matter is this is space, time, and all material things. So the first mention we have here of created is speaking of putting things into an orderly fashion. When you go to the rest of the verse where it says made, that is talking about bringing things into existence. So what we have in verse 3, if you could think of it this way, is almost a double creation. Now double creation shouldn't be that odd for us to think about. Adam was created out of dust, but where did the dust come from? Well, God created the dust. And then he goes and creates out of that dust, Adam. And then from Adam, he creates Eve. This takes us actually back to Genesis 1, because this is what Genesis 1 teaches us. If you go back to Genesis 1 and verses 1, it starts off in verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now what oftentimes happens is people will disconnect verse 1 and 2 from verses 3 and 4. But the, the Hebrew text does not allow that. In fact, each verse begins with the conjunction of and, and, and. And so what we read in verses 1 and 2 is the creation of all things, of, the, of, the, of, of matter, of the universe, and the heavens and the earth is all there. And then the unfolding remainder of days is God actually then putting them into order. So what you see in verses 1 and 2 is the creation of things, of stuff. And then verses 3 all the way through the rest of the chapter is God putting those things into an orderly fashion. He is still creating in that time. He is still bringing forth animals. He is bringing forth uh, fruit, uh, trees. He's bringing forth all of these things out of that initial creation. And how does this happen? Well, the text says, beginning in verse 3, and God said. This is what God speaks, and God brings things into existence. So what does this mean in Hebrews where it says that God created or God formed? It's speaking of, as we've already seen, making things so that they function together, that they fit right, that they work accordingly to an order, which indicates to us that when God created the heavens and the earth, He created it with intention and purpose. Meaning all things that were created were created according to the purpose 
of our all-wise, all-good, all-powerful God. And Hebrews actually captures the entirety of the intention and purpose of creation. And we see that in the chapter 1, in the, in the very introduction and you'll notice in chapter 1, Hebrews, as it speaks of all of the great things of Christ, it also ties these great things of Christ to the doctrine of creation. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Notice how that is the whole swoop of history there. It looks back to the creation, but then it looks forward to a recreation that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And then all things culminate in Christ. And so this is teaching us in this very basic elemental idea of the intention and purpose of God is that the beginning and the end are created and determined and maintained and upheld by God. And all things that are created are designed to reach the intended end for which God has proposed them to meet. So in other words, all of creation is moving towards an end, but that also means on a smaller level that you and I, we were also designed with intention and purpose. When Adam and Eve were created and the sixth day is all entirely finished and creation process is done, God declared it all good. It means it was all functioning according to his perfect plan. That's why God declared it good. So that brings the question to us is why does it seem like all things are not functioning well? Why does it seem like all things are not good or as God said on the final day, very good? Disaster, disease, destruction terrorist attacks that we saw yesterday? What took place that changed? Well, sin entered into the world, and sin wrecks havoc on all things. Why is it that we have disease? Why is it that we have violence and hatred? Because sin entered into the, per into the world. In the Garden of Eden, everything was ordered perfectly. Everything was uh, according to God's perfect plan and ordered exactly how he had determined for it. What happens when they are removed from the garden and now sin is in the world? You have disorder. You have chaos. You have brother killing brother. You have disease. You have pride. You have all of these things. One thing we ought to note is order is from God and disorder is from Satan. That impacts everything about our life, that just simple statement. A well-ordered life is a life lived according by God's grace, according to how God has designed us to live. That's why God orders worship. That's why God orders how we are to live our life. Because order is from God, but disorder is actually from Satan. 
immediately when sin entered the world and chaos erupted, pride erupted, God covered Adam and Eve and brought restitution to their sins. And likewise, we are in need of covering that we may be restored to our original purpose. And apart from being covered by the righteousness of Christ, we are disordered. And we will live disordered lives. Only in Christ is that original intention restored in us. And our great hope rests in the fact that God created all things and is moving us towards a recreation, a new heavens and a new earth where all things will be finally without tears, where we will live a life without pain. By the way, this will be accomplished by the Word as well when God declares it to happen. Now, there's something else that we have to understand about God's design here and God's creation is this. All things, and that word all means all, all things we see are derivative of that original creative act of God. I remember many years ago when we were teaching our girls that God created all things, they would ask this very logical question. Well, did God create that chair? Did God create this building? Well, how would you answer that? Well, nothing that is in existence could be in existence apart from God's creation. And from the very clothes that we have to the chairs that you're sitting in to this building we're in right now, yes, it was built by men or it was put together by, by men and it was designed by men and women and all of those things. But the whole point is, is the very material that we have is as a result of God's creation. So everything that we have is derivative of God. God is eternal. God is outside of time and thus we even see that not only material things are created by God and all material things that we have are derivative upon God's creation, but even time itself is created. You see, the doctrine of creation impacts every single aspect of our lives. So are we called to be good stewards with what we have because it's God's creation and in God's providence He has given it to us? But what about time? I want you to think about this for a second. Not only time and material things, but material things, just because that's more concrete, are by our gods. Whatever we have is actually gods. Our private property is gods. Because all of creation is dependent upon God. In fact, we're told in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So in other words, why we have things right now, and we're able to enjoy them right now, is not only because of the fact that God initially created substance by which we could create things, but those things that we have are actually held together in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the Lord Jesus Christ were to remove his hand from things, then things would cease to exist. There would just be nothing. 
So let me ask you, does it matter what we do with material things? How we see material things, how we should see things in this world that we actually physically touch and we own, should impact us and make us think about and lead us to thankfulness that in God's provision, He created this earth that we could benefit from and enjoy. Because God created things. And the second thing is this is in terms of time. Time was brought into existence by God at creation. There are 24 hours in a day, and this is marked off in creation, evening and morning. So we, we can always say this, it matters how I treat material things. That's without question. What I do, am I a good steward with the material things that I have been given in God's providence? But what about my time? God created time. And in man's days are determined. They're marked off. Job 14.5 So I only have so much time that only God knows. And he's given me that time for, with intention. And he's given me that time with a purpose. And when my usefulness is done, then I, I will be done. So what I do with time actually matters. You think about how sometimes we say things like, I'm just going to waste the time of way. I think that God would say, no. You can't waste the time away. You only have so much of it. Do we ever waste time? Do you ever just observe over the last few years how people walk? Like this. And somehow they're not able to, they're, they're able to do that without running into things. How much time, and, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone, how much time is spent looking here at things that have no impact on our life? Now, I'm not saying that there's not good things that we can use our phone. I thank God for the great technology that has come about in His providence. But how much time do we waste? Do we ever stop to think, wait, God created time. He created it for our benefit. He also created it with a purpose and intention. So in other words, how we use time actually matters to God. I was thinking about this. So often, how often do we say, I just need more time, more, 20, more than 24 hours? Or, you know, you think of the Beatles song, Eight Days a Week. Wouldn't it be nice to have eight days a week? Well, what's interesting is that actually God designed things perfectly and according to the plan. What changed? Why is it that we feel this impulse that we don't have enough time? Well, sin entered into the world. And there could be a lot, of, a lot of explanations as to why we abuse that time or we think we need more time. Because sin entered into the world and we have anxiety over time now, it's because of sin somewhere, not necessarily individual sin. It could be the fact that we have corrupt governments that make us work all the time. 
and we can't keep up. It could be because of all of the disorder, which, remember, order is from God, disorder is from Satan. Because sin entered in the world, even our time is corrupted. It's only redeemed in Christ. If we have anxiety over time, if we have anxiety over how we use our time, this is something that we give over to the Lord, who is the creator and sustainer of time, with whom we will be with for an ending time in eternity. God brought forth the universe by his word, but what, what means did God use? In other words, how did he, how did he do this? We know he spoke and brought it, brought it into existence. Well, the text tells us this, is that the means God used was out of nothing. He created out of nothing. And you see it in the text. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are, invis- or that are visible. This is speaking of creation out of nothing. So, so God, when he, he created, and this is looking at that word made in verse 3, rather than the word created or formed, depending on which translation you have, this is speaking now of creation of things that did not exist, him bringing them into existence. And specifically, God did not use pre-existing substance. God did not use things that were already floating around eternally in space, as if there was even space. God brought space into existence. He didn't take pre-existing material and lead a slow evolutionary process until you finally get to man that's created in the image of God as if that could happen by some sort of evolutionary process. No, God simply spoke things and they came into existence and then he formed those things for his purpose. And so that word made, it means bringing into existence that which did not exist. So what is seen, that is what you and I visibly see right now, the the creation of the heavens and the earth, it was not made out of things visible. So does this mean there was some invisible substance that God used to create? No. It's simply referring to creation by divine fiat. Fiat here is not referring to an Italian car. Fiat is God's decree. So divine fiat is that God decrees creation. He wills creation. God creates by speaking things into existence that did not previously exist. And he forms and shapes those things according to to his good pleasure. When we consider this, that God spoke, does this mean that God had to audibly speak in order for things to happen? No. It's simply an expression to demonstrate that God simply willed or decreed the existences of all things that are. You see this very idea in Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. And then verse 9, For he spoke, and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. There's a very clear statement that by God's word all things come in to being. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 makes this so very clear. 
where it says in this praise of God, we will be praising God who is the maker of heaven and earth. We will be praising God for all of eternity according to Revelation that he was creator. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Notice that captures what is being said, what, the point I'm trying to make here. By your will they existed and were created. That, that idea of will is speaking of God's desire. God's desire to create. That means this is that God was under no compulsion to create. He did not have to create. He did not have to bring you and I into existence. He decreed creation not because he was lonely, not because he was needy, not because he lacked anything in, his, in and of himself or he lacked any of his own glory. He decreed and brought all things into existence really for our benefit. God himself is completely sufficient in and of himself and does not need anything from his creation. The means is out of nothing is explicitly taught here that God spoke and it came to be. And this comes back to actually something more fundamental and is related to the very being of our triune God. Oftentimes the doctrine of creation is treated as if we could treat that as a secondary or tertiary doctrine, but it's not. Because actually if we consider the very being of God, which we know by God's revelation of himself, not only in creation, but we know of in his special revelation, the word, that is God is eternal. Only one that is without time, that is not constrained by time, he's outside of time, could bring forth something. You know, when you think about questions, you ask kids, who created the universe? Who created the heavens and the earth? They'll say God. Then you could ask this question, what was before the universe? How would you answer that? We might be tempted to say nothing. That's the wrong answer. Nothing, by definition, does not exist. It wasn't just nothing. What was before the creation of the heavens and the earth is God. You ask the question of children, who created God? No one created God. God is self-existent. God cannot even create God, for God would have to not exist and exist at the same time to bring himself. God is. This is why God reveals himself to us as a verb. God is. When God introduces himself to Moses, he introduces himself as the self-existent eternal God as I am who I am. It's a to-be verb. Jesus himself repeatedly says, most, most prominently in John seven times, I am. What do we read in John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, which is reach, reaching back into eternity and saying that the Word, that is Jesus, always was. This speaks of the eternal God 
to say that God created, but it also speaks of something else. Is because we are now in existence and we're living, breathing beings, this also speaks of the fact that God is life in himself. Life in himself. And theologians call this the aseity of God. And in Job chapter 22, we read of this very point that God is complete within himself. He has life within himself. Job asked the question, excuse me, Eliphaz asked the question, can a man be profitable to God? And the answer is no. Because God is self-existent. God has life within himself. There's nothing that you and I can contribute to God. We can contribute to one another. In fact, we must contribute to one another, right? And we need one another. If you were to ask, what profit can one of you be to me, it would be, you would be much profit. What profit can man be to God? None. Because God is self-sufficient in himself. He has life within himself. His life is not dependent upon our life, but our life is dependent upon God, the creator, the maker of heavens and earth. And Jesus actually applies this to himself in John chapter 5, verse 26. He says, For as the Father has life in himself, that is speaking of his self-existence, that he himself is life. Jesus says, As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus actually applies this idea to himself, meaning these couple of points, all of life is dependent upon God who is life. Our life and being is brought into existence by God who is life, and our life is maintained by God. Where does our physical life come from? God. Where does our spiritual life come from? God. He who created your physical life is the one who brings in a new creation in being born again. All aspects of our life are dependent upon God because He is the maker of the heavens and the earth. So if you think about this, we've talked about how do we treat material things that God has brought into existence? How do we treat time, that which God has brought into existence? Now, how do we treat life that God has brought into existence? Not only do we ask the question, he brought these things into existence, so they're according to his design. But man is the only part of creation that is created in God's image. How do we treat that most special creation of God? How do we treat life? How do we treat the living things in this world? They are given to us for our joy, for our good, and our benefit. So how do we treat them? Are we good stewards with human life? Are we good stewards with the environment? Do we recognize that God gave us the environment for our benefit and joy? He gave us trees 
to give us oxygen and gave us trees to make fire to keep warm with. He gave us trees to make houses with and eventually have paper and write things down on and put his word in that paper. Those things were given to us by God. How do we treat that which God has given us? You see, the doctrine of creation at every level affects our life. The doctrine of creation at every level points us back to the worship and awe of God. The doctrine of creation touches everything that we are because everything that we are was created by God. It's amazing that, that the author of Hebrews shows this as the first example of faith, which I think makes this point that we have to recognize is the doctrine of creation is actually an essential element of our Christian faith. David McWilliams in his sermons on Hebrews says this, quote, For Christian leaders to deny creation by divine fiat or the history of Adam or to imagine that hominids evolved into God's image bearers and then to think that these compromises will not harm the faith and walk of the church is almost incomprehensible. In other words, to deny this actually actually harms how we view mankind. It, it, it harms how the church itself walks. It harms how we understand human life. Children have been told for the last 50 plus years that they, they evolved from pond scum. No wonder we murder millions of babies every year through Planned Parenthood. No wonder why Canada passes law for euthanasia. No wonder why in European countries they're trying to completely eradicate Down syndrome. Because we've told you're just an accident. You're just an accident. Life doesn't matter. Why do we, is it that we see kids roaming the streets playing knockout games and attacking people and the violence that is so prevalent today. Well, you're, you're not, there's no purpose for your life. You're just palm scum, pawn scum. You get told that over and over again rather than that you were created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and to be treated with integrity. But you're just an accident. And, and many, many kids actually grow up not only believing they're a cosmic accident, but they're an accident too of bad choices. You see how the doctrine of creation actually is the solution to that? You see, if someone compromises on this very basic element of the faith, the cost is too great. Creation out of nothing impacts every aspect of our worldview and how we live life and how we understand the very nature of God. So how do we understand this? Well, the text tells us by faith. Now that word understand, that word understand is something outside of sense perception. So what this means is this, is faith is the organ by which you're able to see and believe the doctrine of creation. Like eyesight is to things, faith is to what we cannot see. 
What we visibly see, we by faith believe God brought into existence by His Word out of nothing. So faith reaches beyond what is observable. And we believe based upon God's Word. And this idea of faith connected to God's Word is first and foremost for the one that has been justified by faith. In other words, as the confession says this, by this faith a Christian believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word of God for the authority of God himself. In other words, does a Christian have to believe everything that is in the Bible? Yes. Because it's God's word. How could we believe in a God to save us from eternal damnation, but not believe that he could give us an accurate account of what we are to believe? And saving faith actually comes with a believing of all things that are in the Scripture. But let me just say this, and I want to make this point very clear. What we believe is not unreasonable. We're not naive knuckle-draggers. Believing that God created the world out of nothing is neither absurd nor nonsensical. But it's actually quite the opposite. To believe that the cosmos is an accident is absurd. To say that it is by chance, and many people would say that it is by chance, it happened by chance, is actually confirming what the Bible says. Because as soon as you say this happened by chance, you are given the attribute of power and creation and force to chance, as if it's something. Rather than just acknowledging that it's the God of the Bible that created. Now, we, we do have to understand this is that how we understand creation has to be revealed by God and believed by faith. In other words, the order of creation, as it's depicted in Genesis chapter 1, we believe by faith. We're told that by God, and we trust that God and His Word told us the truth. It's not like Adam and, and Eve were witnesses to the creation. They were created on the sixth day. And then... They either wrote it down themselves or they were memorized what God had told them and shared that with their children. But the whole point is this, is that the creative act was revealed to them by God. And we believe that by faith. We believe that creation order. We believe how God stated it in Genesis is true, that he created the earth in six 24-hour literal days. And then on the seventh day he rested and said it was good. We believe that by faith because that cannot be revealed outside of God telling us that. But the idea of creation by divine fiat is actually the only reasonable explanation for existence. In fact, philosophically, there is no other conclusion to reach than that of a first cause bringing all things into existence. Now, I'm not a philosopher, and I won't pretend to be a philosopher. 
But we all learned the law of causality when we were children. Every effect has what? A cause. That's the law of causality. Every effect must have a cause. Creation is the effect of a cause. Now, the law of causality does not say that every cause has to have a cause. In fact, there has to be a starting point. Otherwise, you go infinitely back into a cycle. So what do we believe? We believe that God is the first cause. Some people will say, well, the, this idea of self-creation. That's how things came into existence, is through a self-creation. That means that things that exist had to not exist and then exist at the same time while it was making itself exist. And people hold to that view. That's logical absurdity. And many that would hold that view to say, hey, you believe an all-powerful, eternal, immutable, unchangeable God created everything? That's silly. Well, sometimes many people believe in an internal world. Many philosophers believe this. But that would mean that the world itself would have to have being. The idea of a force creating all things and there being a, a starting point all goes back to God as the infinite, eternal, immovable, all-powerful God, the first mover of all things. Now I say this is reasonable because I say this is reasonable because it's actually revealed by natural light. What is natural light? Natural light is this, is that we can make observations about what we see around us and come to truths. God's given us two books. He's given us the Bible and He's given us nature. Both are infallible. We're fallible and we interpret fallible, infallibly, or infallibly, excuse me. But simply this whole thing is this, is that it has been shown by those that did not believe God. Philosophically and scientifically, there had to be a starting point and there had to be something that made that starting point. Plato, Aristotle believed this and taught this. They taught it with darkened minds. Nonetheless, that they were aware there had to be a first cause and we are the effect of that first cause. Did you know that this actually confirms with what Scripture tells us that there would be those that are like Aristotle and Plato that are exceptionally brilliant and are able to reason these things out by just simply thinking long enough, the Scripture actually tells us this would happen. In Romans chapter 1, it says this in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So what can be known about God and plain to God can be known. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. In other words, by God's revelation of, through nature, no one could deny the fact of God, that they were created by God. But it even says incomprehensibly here, his divine attributes, his invisible, invisible attributes 
are shown to those that would reject God. Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Or in the case of the philosophers, they would then attribute the creation of the world to some Greek mythology. They would take a, a rock and say, this was our creator. They had futile thinking because they suppressed the truth that was clearly revealed to them in nature. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Isn't it amazing that right now creation is what is worshipped by a, a vast segment of humanity rather than recognizing the creation was for us? So while no philosopher could reason their way to God, the God of the Bible, they are able to reason their fact, their way to the fact of a God that creates all things. But not only could they reason their way to a God that created all things, did you know even some philosophers even came to the conclusion that God had to be personal because of the law of causality? The philosopher Rene Descartes said this, he said, no effect could be greater than the cause, and because you and I have personhood and personality, it must mean the first cause has personality as well. I say all of this to say is what you believe is not unreasonable. What you believe is not absurd, but actually what you believe can be confirmed. But here's the thing, and this is where it gets to be the tricky part. If the first cause of all things is not just some force, but is the one who said, you shall have no other gods before me? If he's the God who said, you shall not make engraven images? If he's the God that says, you shall not take my name in vain? If he's the God that says, you shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy? That you shall honor your mother and father, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If he's the God that did that, then one day we'll stand before that God for how we treated his law that he created. You might ask, what about science? Doesn't science disprove everything that we say we believe? Well, science is the practice of observation and theory. And we have to recognize this about science. And please, especially with, with the, that phrase that we're all so sick of as trust the science, which now means no one trusts science. Science is not a single voice that speaks uniformly a truth. So I say, yeah, what about the science? 
What about the science that has shown the consistency through experimentation, through archaeological finds, and through dating a consistency with what the Bible says? What about the science? Science is not a monolithic voice that speaks uniformly, but rather scientists speak. So what about the science? So yes, we believe this by faith, but, but believing this by faith does not mean that we believe something blindly or that we believe something contrary to what is evidenced in creation itself. So by faith, we understand the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Well, why does the author of Hebrews start here as the first example? Well, I think because we have to acknowledge a creation in order to expect a recreation. And if God is a personal being that brings about personal people, then one day we will stand before Him. And we will either stand before Him in our own merit, or we will stand in front of Him by the merit of someone else. And praise God that He sent His Son to fulfill the law that we may stand in Him, counted righteous, not our own righteousness, but His righteousness, by faith. But there's something else, is that creation is something we're supposed to contemplate. Adam was created on the sixth day, and then on the seventh day he rested to contemplate God's goodness. Contemplated God's wisdom and power in creation. And so likewise, creation itself is a testimony to our God and should lead us to contemplation. Behold, the heavens declare the glory of God. That means we're supposed to stop and think about it. When we see the beauty of a sunset, do we marvel at the wonder of the great artist that created that for our visual experience? But there's also something else, is the doctrine of creation is a reminder of how easy it is for God to help us. That was the problem with these Hebrews. They were beginning to doubt that God could help them when things got tough. They wanted to take things into their own hands. You know how we started the, the, the service this morning is how we often start it with this particular verse. And a number of years ago, I was studying worship services during the Reformation. What did they look like? And I found out this interesting fact is that John Calvin opened up almost every one of his worship services with Psalm 124, verse 8. Almost every one of his was opened up with that because it was a reminder to the people that our God who made all things can help you. Psalm 124, verse 8, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. If we ever begin to doubt whether God can help us, let us be reminded, is He who brought all things into existence? He maintains all things, and He simply just decreed that things would come into existence. And He's not unaware of our plights. He's not unaware of our struggles. He's not unaware of our pain. He's very aware of Him. And He is a help in our time of need. Let us be quick to confess that our God, the Almighty Father, is maker of heaven and earth. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise Your holy name. You are the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God that spoke 
all things into existence. And you maintain all things by the power of your word. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ that in him we may have salvation and that we may be complete in him. Father, we pray that your help would always be present with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.